prayer that is, um, Lord, send revival. He's done it before. He can do it again. Uh, before we begin, I'd just like to go ahead and pray for that. May we pray for that together uh, this morning? Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious God, we just petition you now that you would bring revival upon this land. Lord, we know that only you can turn the hearts of millions of people back toward yourself and then toward a right relationship with you, God. And so, Lord, we just we know that you are the solution for all the ills of this nation. And so, God, we petition you this morning as, as Bible-believing people, Christ-confessing people, that you would turn the hearts of the people of this nation back into yourself. And Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We have been in a series in the book of Romans, and so we are back in Romans chapter 5 today. And I want to do just a little bit of recap over what we've covered the last several weeks. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 began with the word we. Um, Paul is now moved from addressing both believers and unbelievers in Romans to addressing believers. People who he says, since we have been justified by faith. That word justified is a legal term. It refers to somebody who's been declared in the courtroom as not guilty. And so Paul says, since we've been declared not guilty in the sight of a holy God, since he has covered our sins in the blood of Jesus, he says there are certain privileges that we have. And we covered those in the first week. Some of those are include uh, that we have peace with God, that the, uh, that the God of the universe has declared a peace treaty between himself and us. He's also given us access to himself, that God has declared a permanent audience between us and him, and he invites us into his presence. And then we talked also about how we have hope of future glorification, that one day Jesus is going to give us all a body like he has, a body that is imperishable, a body that will never decay, will never experience death, um, and that will live on for eternity in heaven. And then we also talked last week about how um, suffering produces certain fruits in us. Again, these are things that we have as believers. These are privileges that we have as believers. Um, those include fruits like endurance, fruits like character, fruits like a hopefulness about life. And so uh, that brings us here to this morning to this uh, final of these things that Paul lists off that we have, and that is that God wants to pour his love into your heart and into mine. So let's stand and read together Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. We'll read through to verse 8. One thing I want you to notice as we read is look for the word while. It appears a couple of times, and it helps frame out where God's going to be, how God shows us this love. All right, so here we go, beginning at verse 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, you may be seated. I think, yeah, that's it. I was getting ready to keep on going. Um, but because it's good. But that's next week. All right. Um, let's begin at verse 6. We're just going to walk back through some of this. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for us. Now, the Greek term that's translated weak is the Greek term asthenes. i got a picture of it for you here. Here's what it looks like. Um, and it is a medical term. And this refers to something. So Paul's creating a picture uh, for his audience, something they would have been familiar with, of somebody who is infirmed. That word asthenes refers to somebody who is incapable of taking care of themselves. This is somebody who looks to someone else to bring them what they need and to help give them uh, care for them. And so again, this is the picture that Paul creates here. Now, he's not talking about some sort of a physical infirmity. He's talking about a spiritual infirmity. He's referring to the fact that because we have sin in our hearts, because we were far from God, we were incapable of doing anything about our state, that God had to come and do for us what we could not do 
for ourselves. He goes on to describe the state as being ungodly. Ungodly refers to somebody who is not reverent, somebody who does not show God the proper respect that is due to him, but it's more than that. An ungodly person is a person whose life is rebellious and full of sin, a life that is characterized by disobedience and rejection of the things of God. And so when we are behaving this way, when we were acting this way, when we were regarded this way by God, verse 6 tells us that Jesus died on the cross for us. Friends, that's a pretty remarkable statement that Paul makes. He goes on to repeat it again um, in verse, verse 8. He says, while we were still sinners, that is, while we were falling short of the glory of God, while we were uh, participating at a subpar level, before we had gotten our act together, before we had shown God the proper amount of respect, when we were below the standards that God requires, Christ died for us. He repeats it again. Here comes our third while. In verse 10, he says, Paul goes on to say, verse 10, that Christ reconciled us to himself while we were his enemies. The scripture teaches, friends, that when we are lost in our sins, we're declared enemies of God. You say, I'm declared war against God. I'm not against God. But friends, if you have not pled the blood of Jesus over your life, if you are not a born-again believer, friends, then God, God regards you as an enemy of his. Because your life is not covered in the blood of Jesus, you are considered by God, whether you want to be or not, an enemy of him. And the Bible says it is at this, at this juncture that Christ cried up, crawled up on the cross and gave his life for us. You know, the history books are full of people who are willing to give up their life for people. Paul points this out in verse 7. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. A righteous person is somebody that you respect. And so it's, you know, every so often, maybe throughout history, somebody was willing to give their life for somebody they, they respected. That is very rare. He says, not quite as rare, but still rare, he says. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. A good person is somebody that you care about. This is somebody that you love. This is somebody that you view as priceless and precious to you. And the history books, again, are full of examples of this. For example, Rebecca gave her life for her son, Benjamin. Mothers are willing to give their life for their children. There are cases when a soldier leapt onto a grenade and to protect the life of his buddy. Some of us know men who have done things like that. There are cases where someone would be willing to give up their life for, the peop for their own people. Esther was willing to do that. There are cases where a friend was willing to give up their life for the, on behalf of a beloved friend. Jonathan was willing to do that for David. There are even cases where a person is willing to give up their life for their country. I was reading this past week about a guy by the name of Nathan Hale. I have a portrait for you here. Nobody knows exactly what he looks like. There's no pictures of him, but he has a couple of statues up in, I believe, Connecticut uh, to his honor. Nathan Hale was a 21-year-old lieutenant in the Continental Army. Um, General Washington showed up one day and said, I need somebody to go into New York City behind enemy lines where the British are and report back to us on their troop movements, tell us what kind of supplies they're getting in, where those supplies are coming from. We need some intel. And so Nathan Hale raised his hand and said, I will go. Well, Nathan Hale and the rest of the soldiers knew what that meant. If Nathan Hale or whoever it was that was going on there to spy was ever to be caught, it would be immediate execution. Well, Nathan Hale went behind enemy lines, and for two weeks he continued to report back to the Continental Army on the troop movements and the supply and all that sorts of stuff of the, of the British. And about two weeks into that, he was recognized, and he was found out, and he was caught. Nathan Hale was then um, hanged from the neck, and as they were tightening the noose around his neck, here's a quote that he made, a famous quote. He said, I regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. 
Friends, as we look down through the history books and examine all the situations in which a, a sacrifice like that was made, the person who is giving their life is doing it for something that they regard as precious, for someone that they regard as priceless to them, some that they, someone that they regard as worthy and deserving of them giving their life for that. But in the case of Jesus, Paul reminds us that Jesus died on the cross while we were weak, while we were incapable of doing anything about ourselves, before we had ever taken a step toward God, Jesus gave his life for us. While we were enemies of God, while we were sinners before God, while we were rebellious toward God, Jesus gave his life for us. And Paul's reporting that. You say, well, Gordon, that's some good preaching, right? Amen? All right, amen, good. Yeah, a little quiet out there this morning. Uh, you say, I got a question for you. Why? I mean, that's a, that's a fair question, right? Why would Jesus do that? I mean, what's the motivating factor that would cause Jesus to want to crawl up on the cross and suffer all that he suffered? I mean, we could journey back through what Jesus suffered. It was tremendous suffering that he experienced. He had the sins of the whole world heaped on him, not to mention all the physical uh, that he, uh, suffering that he experienced. And he was willing to do that. What was the motivating factor? Why would he want to do that? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul writes, he says, but God shows his what? His love. His love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The motivating factor for why Jesus was willing to crawl up onto the cross and die for your sins and mine is because of his great love for you. You know, there's a, the word love in the Greek um, has four different renderings in the Greek translated into the one word love. And so I just want to kind of real quickly work through that list. You may have seen these before. The first word in Greek that translates to the one word love in English is the Greek word storge. Storge is a familial love. This is the kind of love that you have towards your family members. But interestingly enough, this word never appears in the New Testament, this Greek word storge. Um, there's another word. Um, it's the word eros in Greek, and it also translates love. This is a romantic kind of love, but it is not used in the New Testament anywhere. Now, there's a third word that is used in the New Testament, and that's the word philos in the Greek, and it means a brotherly kind of love. This is where we get the term Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. And, but um, this love is never referred to as the kind of love that God has. That God, whenever the Bible talks about God so loved the word, loved the world, the world, the word too, but he loved the world, it's not talking about philos love there. Actually, it's the word agape. And so anytime when it refers to God and the kind of love that he's sharing, it's always the word agape. And that's because the word agape is a sacrificial kind of love. The word agape refers to somebody who's willing to give their life, to give their all, to pour themselves out on the behalf of someone else, whether that person ever does anything in response or not. So in other words, I'm willing to give even if I don't ever hear thank you. I'm willing to give even though I never give anything in return. This is the kind of love that doesn't wait till somebody says, I love you, before it responds back, and I love you too. This is, the, this is the kind of love that just loves and just gives itself away just because it loves the object that it is giving to. If you've ever walked the floor with a crying baby, you know about this kind of love. If you've ever helped out an elderly neighbor or stood in a soup kitchen line serving up meals, you know about this kind of love. It is self-sacrificial. And Paul says that we know that God loves us this way because when we didn't deserve it, while we were lost in our sins, when we were enemies of God, while we were helpless and ungodly, before we had taken the first step toward God, Jesus died on the cross for us. 
And friends, Paul says that's all the evidence we need. Friends, Jesus did not die for us when we were at our best. Jesus died for us when we were at our worst. Um, Claire and I like to go out to eat every so often. We usually have a Friday night, or maybe we might catch a midweek, something like that. And um, every once in a while, while we're out eating, we'll run across a... Everybody doing okay? I'm having to check in here a little bit this morning, make sure we're doing okay. All right, um, and so we'll, we'll run across a, a dating couple, and you can kind of pick them out, right? You know, she's got her nails all done, she's got her jewelry on, makeup's all perfect. Um, he changed his socks, you know. <laughs> Uh, guys, that's the way we are, right? Maybe he vacuumed out the car. I don't know. But in any case, they're kind of sitting there, and they're having dinner together, and things are kind of sparking between the two of them, and they fall in love. Right? They're looking into one another's eyes. They're, they're, they're enjoying one another's company, and they're falling in love. Um, but you notice that they fall in love with one another when they're at their best. Right? And then they get married. <laughs> And uh, he wakes up on, after the honeymoon, and oh, that, that, lady, that beautiful lady that he, woke up, or that, he, that he fell in love with is over there on the dresser, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> I got the same response at the other service. I should have known better, right? But hey, guys, they got a lady's got a gripe against us. When's the last time we opened up a car door for her or popped a Tic Tac in our mouth, right? Right? Or could see our feet. Right? All right. You see, when we fall in love with one another, we fall in love with one another when we are at our best. And then life settles in. But let me tell you something. When Jesus decided to love you, when Jesus didn't do, or Jesus did so when we were not at our best, Jesus didn't get fooled by all the jewelry and all the behavior cleaning ourselves up. Uh, that we do to ourselves. Jesus looked down into our soul, and what he saw, friends, was not something spiritually beautiful. Jesus didn't see something that he was spiritually wanting to fall in love with and sparking for, friends. Jesus died for us when we were at our worst, not at our best. And yet he died for us anyway. You know, Jesus did this not because the Father had pushed him out the door and told him that he had to do it, Jesus died for us voluntarily. John chapter 10 and verse 17, Jesus said these words. He says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And by doing so, it says right there in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that this is evidence to us. God shows us, proves to us his love for us. He clearly displayed his love for us and the whole world, for the whole world to see, and that while we were sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were enemies, Jesus still loved us enough to die for us. That is something that no man would ever do. I mean, who would you be willing to give your life for? Your mom, perhaps? Maybe a car's barreling down the road and she's about ready to be hit. Would you run out in front of the car, push her out of the way, and take the hit yourself? Yeah, I'd be willing to do that. I mean, who, would you be willing to give your life for your country if your country called and said, look, we need for you to give your life on behalf of your country? Say, yeah, I'd be willing to do that. But would you be willing to give your life for somebody that continually breaks your heart? Would you be willing to give your life for someone whom God has declared to be your enemy? And it's precisely at that point, friends, the Bible says, that God was willing to give Jesus, and Jesus gave his life for us. 
And the motivating factor behind it all was God's agape love, his sacrificial love. All right, well, that's our treatment of this text for today. And so that means it's time to ask the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I, I cognitively understand what you're saying. That Jesus was willing to give his life for us. He regarded us as precious. He regarded us as priceless, even when we could care less about him. I get that. That's an amazing love. So let's say amen and head for lunch, right? Let's head for the house. Um, what difference does any of this make to me? Well, that's a really great question. few moments left. Let me see if I can explain that. You see, the Bible tells us that God doesn't just want us to know that he loves us. He wants for us to experience this love in an ongoing basis. Going back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, Paul writes these words, and hope does not put us to shame. He's talking about a hope of future glorification there. He's saying that we're going to, when Jesus returns and, we're, and life comes to an end, we won't be disappointed. We won't be left standing there feeling like, oh goodness, I can't believe I put my faith in this and it didn't work out. He's saying, no, 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 this hope is not something that will ever put us to shame. This is something that will never disappoint us. And then he goes on to say, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Again, a privilege, a benefit that comes to those who have been justified in Christ. That God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, it is God's desire that he flood your life with his love. It is God's desire that he be able to enter into your heart like a healing balm and will just flood you with his unconditional love. That's what God wants to do for you, to pour his love out all over your soul, driving out your insecurity, driving out our hate, driving out our enemy, our, our envy. You know, there are many, many of us sitting here this morning that need that kind of love in our life. We need that healing love to just permeate our souls, to flood over us in every way. Some of us, friends, did not have the greatest of upbringings. Some of us did not have James Dobson as a dad, if you know what I'm saying. Some of you growing up never heard the words, I love you. Some of you growing up had a father who was never there physically or emotionally. Some of you got more affirmation from your baseball coach or your soccer coach than you ever did from either of your parents. Some of you cannot remember being hugged. Some of you cannot remember being kissed, being told that you're beautiful or special or valued. Not once. And when you misbehaved, you were punished. And not only were you punished, but you, were, but you experienced verbal abuse and a lot of character assassination and a lot of pain that resulted for that, from that. And for some of you, when you left home, you were riddled with insecurity and had no self-worth. You were afraid to try because you were afraid to fail. You were loved on the basis of your performance. That was the love that you understood coming out of your household. And friends, that's not the love of our Father in heaven. His love for you, friends, is not based on how well you do or what you do for him or whether or not you tell him, I love you. Friends, he loves you because you are priceless and precious in his sight. And he demonstrated that. He proved that to you in that while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we were ungodly and weak, Christ died for us. Friend, I'm here to tell you today that the love of God is not based on performance. And this love can overcome 
the most tragic childhood. And so I hope, I feel my purpose this morning is to try and tell you that God has provided a prescription for you, something that will be that healing balm to your soul, and that is the love of God through Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus, friends, will go down into your heart. It will go down past where any medication can reach. It will go down past where any therapy can reach. It's a place where only God's love can reach. And the love of God will restore you, and it will renew you, and it will renovate your life. And friends, the way for that to happen is for you and I to get quiet before our Heavenly Father and to allow Him and the presence of the Holy Spirit to wash over you each and every day. That's a wonderful love, and it's available to you. We just have to get quiet before our Father. There are some of us here this morning who do not know Christ, and you've never experienced this kind of love, because again, this is something that is exclusive to people who are justified, to people who are believers, to people who have invited Jesus into their life. There's some of us who have never experienced peace with God or access with God or hope of future glorification or God's healing love. And friends, in just a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to enter into that relationship. And then there are others of us here this morning who are Christians, and we've tried everything in the world to heal ourselves. But the love of Jesus... We've gone to psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and we've read books. You say, is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as the answer that they are giving you is that the love of God is what is ultimately going to heal your broken heart. Friends, he, there are some of us here this morning who are born-again Christians, saved. We know that we're going to heaven, but we need to throw our hearts open to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will flood your soul with his unconditional, not performance-based kind of love. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you for speaking to us today from your word. God, there are some of us here today who have never entered into a relationship with you, and so Lord, we want to give those the opportunity to pray and to invite you into their life. And so Lord, if they are here, they just need to pray after this prayer quietly where they're seated. Dear Heavenly Father, I give my life to you today. I want your love in my life. I recognize that I have a sin problem that I cannot fix. And so, Jesus, I just commit myself wholly to you. I bring my sinful state and place it at the foot of your cross. I ask for your blood to wash over me to make my heart, my soul, whiter than snow. Lord, there are others of us here today who have been trying to make it through this life in a very unwhole fashion. And Lord, we've tried every remedy and every recipe that the world might potentially offer us, and we keep falling short. The hole is never filled. God, we just come today and throw our hearts open before you. Jesus, we just ask that your unconditional love, that's not based on our performance, it's just because we're your child. It's just because we are precious in your, in your holy eyes. Lord, we thank you for that kind of love. 
Lord, our commitment today is that we'll find that quiet place, that we will allow your unconditional agape love to pour over our hearts each and every day. And Lord, with your love filling our hearts, we can greet this world the way we want to. We can love our children. We can love our spouses. We can love our neighbor, our co-workers, the way you love us. God, we commit to you this time. We pray that your Holy Spirit would stir and encourage our hearts as we remember your broken body and your shed blood. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.